Welcome to Upon Reflection, a podcast about what we think, as well as how and why we think it. I'm Nick Bird. I study the philosophy of cognitive science and the cognitive science of philosophy. In this podcast, I'll be reading my paper entitled, What We Can and Can't Infer About Implicit Bias from Debiasing Experiments. As with all of my papers, the free preprint of the paper can be found on my CV at birdnick.com forward slash CV under Publications. If you want to hear more of my and others' research about the mind, you can subscribe wherever you find podcasts. You can also find out more about me and my research at birdnick.com, at bird underscore nick on Twitter, or at birdnick on Facebook. If you end up enjoying the Upon Reflection podcast, then feel free to tell people about it online, in person, or in your five-star review. What we can and can't infer about implicit bias from debiasing experiments. Nick Bird. Abstract. The received view of implicit bias holds that it's associative and unreflective. Recently, the received view has been challenged. Some argue that implicit bias is not predicated on any associative process, and it's unreflective. These arguments rely in part on debiasing experiments. They proceed as follows. If implicit bias is associative and unreflective, then certain experimental manipulations cannot change implicitly biased behavior. However, these manipulations can change such behavior, so implicit bias is not associative and unreflective. This paper finds philosophical and empirical problems with that argument. When the problems are solved, the conclusion is only half right. Implicit bias is not necessarily unreflective, but it seems to be associative. Further, the paper shows that even if legitimate non-associative interventions on implicit bias exist, then both the received view and its recent contender would be false in their stead would be interactionism, or minimalism, about implicit bias. Quote, The imagination is influenced by associations of ideas which are not easily altered. Close quote. David Hume. Imagine nutrition scientists discover that body weight can be changed not only by calorie ingestion and consumption, but by other factors. When science columnists catch wind of this, these findings, they write up pieces with titles like Why Calories Don't Matter arguing that gaining and losing weight is not predicated on any caloric processes. Some columnists go as far as to recommend that the received thermodynamic view of body weight be abandoned. Obviously, the science columnist's conclusions do not follow. The scientists did not demonstrate that changes in body weight are not predicated on any caloric processes. Rather, the scientists demonstrated that some weight changes are not predicated on only caloric processes. That finding is consistent with the idea that body weight is predicated on caloric processes, even if not fully. This paper cautions against the science columnists' any-only mix-up when thinking about implicit bias. The mistake of concluding that implicit bias is not predicated on any instances of a particular process, when the evidence merely shows that implicit bias is not predicated on only instances of that particular process. Discussions of implicit bias are increasingly common. Debate moderators ask presidential candidates about implicit bias, Fortune 500 companies close thousands of stores in order to teach their employees about implicit bias, and philosophers worry that implicit bias poses epistemic threats to philosophy. Nonetheless, some are skeptical about the existence of implicit bias or the efficacy of corporate implicit bias training. So academics try to remind the public about evidence of implicit bias and successful debiasing. Philosophers of mind have taken this evidence seriously, arguing that these debiasing findings undermine the received view of implicit bias and demand new solutions to implicit bias. Given these stakes in philosophy and in public discourse, one will want to take every opportunity to be careful about what they infer about implicit bias from debiasing experiments. This paper explains how to identify methodologically sound debiasing experiments and determine what they tell us about implicit bias. Section 1 explains the and distinguishes nine views of implicit bias. Section 2 explains how, and how not to, draw inferences about implicit bias from debiasing experiments. Then, Section 3 reviews influential debiasing experiments, highlighting differences in methodological quality along the way. Section 4 explains what follows from the strongest evidence, using the inference principles from earlier sections. Of course, a paper this size cannot carefully examine every debiasing experiment, so Section 4 also explains what would follow if forthcoming or overlooked debiasing experiments' findings differ from the findings considered herein. 
The primary conclusion is that up to three views of implicit bias are compatible with current and future evidence, associationism, interactionism, or minimalism. A secondary conclusion is a sort of reflectivism about implicit bias. These conclusions imply that both the received view and more recent non-associationist views of implicit bias are incompatible with strong evidence. Reviewing some of the literature on implicit bias will help explain how these conclusions follow. 1. Implicitly biased behavior. The most well-known measure of implicitly biased behavior is the Implicit Association Test, or IAT for short. The IAT is a categorization task. Various versions of the test measure various modes of implicit biases and behavior. For example, the race IAT measures differences in responses to racial stimuli. This paper will focus on the race IAT, but its analysis can be fruitfully applied to other versions of the IAT and other indirect measures of bias. See the appendix. The IAT includes multiple phases of categorization. In the first phase of the race IAT, participants press buttons on a keyboard to categorize words into one of two categories, good or bad. Then the participants categorize faces with either white or black racial features into one of two categories, white or black. This much is fairly straightforward. In each subsequent phase, participants categorize either faces or words one at a time into composite categories. In one phase, the compo composite categories might be black slash good or white slash, slash bad. And in the following phase, composite categories might be white slash good or black slash bad. It is in these latter phases with composite categories where interesting patterns emerge. Most participants' categorization, accuracy, and response latencies reveal a preference for white facial features over black facial features. That is, participants are quicker to pair black facial features than white racial features with composite categories containing bad. And likewise, participants are quicker to pair white facial features with composite categories containing good. It is not uncommon to detect such implicit pro-white biases in behavior of those who explicitly express pro-black preferences. While this does not suggest that people are unaware of their own biases, it does suggest that behavior can be biased in ways that are not consciously endorsed, or even in ways that are consciously disavowed. Naturally, this disconnect between implicit biases and behavior and more explicit attitudes might raise questions about whether there is a disconnect between implicit biases and behaviors besides button pressing. In short, one might wonder about the validity of measures like the IAT. The virtue of the IAT is its ability to accurately quantify error rates and reaction times and other indirect measures of attitudes and behavior in controlled settings. More ethologically valid measures of implicit bias and behavior make quantification, timing, and control more challenging, e.g. implicit biases in resume evaluation and seating distance. Fortunately, the present paper's analysis will apply to debiasing according to any indirect measure of biases and behavior. So, concerns about the validity of the IAT undermine the present investigation only if these concerns generalize to all indirect measures. The name Implicit Association Test advertises how implicitly biased behavior was initially thought to be predicated on associations. Consequently, this associative view of implicit bias became the received view of implicit bias among philosophers. Philosophers describe associations as, quote, pairs of thoughts that become associated based on past experience, end quote. Accordingly, the associative explanation of the race IIT findings is roughly as follows. People experience white racial features paired with positive valences more than negative valences, and they experience black racial features paired with negative valences more often than positive valences. This conditioning results in associations between white racial features and positive valences, or black racial features and negative valences. These associations explain why unendorsed preferences for certain racial stimuli would manifest on tasks like the IAT. However, this associative view of implicit bias has become controversial. Some argue that implicit bias is belief-like, and that implicit bias is, quote, not predicated on any associative structures or processes, end quote. Others argue that while implicit bias might be belief-like, such beliefs are nonetheless dispositional. Yet others argue that implicit bias is less like belief and more like Apache endorsement, or a trait. And, coming full circle, some admit that implicit bias might be associative after all, even if only in part. Some background theory and evidence will explain why anyone would want to abandon the received associative view of implicit bias for other views. Consider the dual process theory of cognition. 
The theory distinguishes between at least two types of processes with labels such as type 1 and type 2, or system 1 and system 2. To make it easier to remember what these labels describe, this paper will borrow more informative labels for each type of processing. Type 1 processes will be labeled non-reflective, and type 2 processes reflective. Some common dual process distinctions can be found in Table 1. Non-reflective uh, processes are labeled as associative, fast, or automatically processed, or non not consciously represented. Reflective processes are often described as non-associative, slow, deliberately processed, or consciously represented. Of course, one need not buy all the common dual process, process distinctions, at least not without qualification. Indeed, one might be suspicious of binary distinctions in psychology more generally. Fortunately, one need not accept all common or binary dual process distinctions in order to accept the conclusions of this paper. Consider two examples of common dual process theory distinctions that need not be accepted without qualification. Start with the associative versus non-associative distinction. Explaining behavior in terms of associations is about as old as philosophy, so many construals of associations have accumulated. Hume thought that associations operate automatically and unconsciously. Quote, "'Tis evident that the association of ideas operates in so silent and imperceptible a manner that we are scarce sensible of it, and discover it more by its effects than by any immediate feeling or perception." End quote. Hume. Some cognitive scientists have adopted such Humean construals of associations. For example, quote, "'When a response is produced solely by the associative system, a person is conscious only of the result of the computation, not the process. Consider an anagram, such as involnatre, which the correct answer likely pops to mind associatively involuntary. End quote. However, the Humean construal of associations is controversial. Indeed, there are plenty of reasons to think the associations can cross the non-conscious conscious divide. Because of this, some have cautioned against inferring either that cognitive processing is necessarily associative because it's automatic or unconscious, or that it's necessarily automatic and unconscious because it's associative. Importantly, this implies that the associative-non-associative distinction could be orthogonal to the reflective-non-reflective distinction. This paper takes that possibility seriously, as I explained below. Consider the distinction between fast and slow processing, which is also controversial. Seemingly, reflective reasoning is sometimes fast. For this and other reasons, many cognitive scientists seem to reject a definite distinction between fast and slow processing. However, one can admit that the boundary between fast and slow is vague while maintaining that there's a range of response times within which mental representations are unlikely to be available for conscious control or even explicit endorsement. At this point, a critic of dual process theory might begin to question the existence or utility of a dual process distinction. However, the critic should remember that the absence of a clear categorical dual process distinction does not show that dual process distinctions are altogether illegitimate. A categorical distinction pro proposes a clear boundary between two concepts, whereas a comparative distinction merely proposes a relative difference between two concepts. So, dual process theorists have explicated some dual process distinctions comparatively rather than categorically. That brings us to the two dual process distinctions employed in this paper. First, this paper will employ the common dual process distinction between reflective and non-reflective processing. However, this distinction will be comparative rather than categorical. Reflective processing is more consciously represented and deliberately processed, while non-reflective processing is less consciously represented and more automatically processed. Cognition is more conscious when participants are more aware of, more able to articulate, and or more able to process it at the personal level. Cognition is more deliberate when it involves more interruption or less acceptance of the output of automatic processing. This exp explication of reflection will be familiar to anyone who's aware of the famous cases of reflection from philosophy and psychology. Someone finds their first intuition plausible, but steps back for a moment to consider their intuition, and then either endorses the intuition or arrives at a new response. Second, I'll employ a categorical distinction between associative and non-associative processing. Before I describe this categorical distinction, two caveats are in order. First, while processing is either associative or non-associative, attitudes and behavior may not be so binary. Indeed, one of the morals of this paper will be that one and the same behavior can be influenced by both associative and non-associative processes. Second, there's an emerging literature that disputes what associative processing can and cannot do. Since that debate has yet to resolve, I will grant a conventional notion of associative processing and point interested readers toward the unfolding debate. 
Conventionally, cognitive processing is associative if it can be well described by stimulus-response phenomena, such as conditioning or counter-conditioning. Conditioning and counter-conditioning involve repeatedly activating two representations until activating one representation also activates the other representation. This explication of associations captures the kind of processing that might be involved in the behavior that is measured by the race IAT. For example, a racial association might be formed as follows. For whatever reason, someone repeatedly experiences the concept black male paired with the concept danger. These experiences create and strengthen association between the concept and the negatively valenced representation. Once the association is formed, the mere activation of the concept black male activates the negative valence danger. That automatic activation of negative valence is supposed to explain the often unendorsed reflexive biases that manifest during the race IAT. A two-by-two two matrix can be constructed to sort cognition according to two distinctions just explained. The boundary between the left and right sides of the matrix separates associative from non-associative processing, and a more fuzzy boundary between the top and bottom separates more reflective from less reflective processing. One might think that this deviates from dual process theory since it proposes four processes. In reality, this merely proposes that two common dual process distinctions are orthogonal. This more-than-two-quadrant approach to dual process theory is already common among cognitive scientists. Further consideration of these approaches and dual process theory goes beyond the scope of the present investigation. The existing conceptual space need only represent key differences between the views of implicit bias under consideration in the present paper. The matrix just described allows us to classify views of implicit bias based on whether they predicate implicit bias on one, associative or non-associative processing, as well as two, more or less reflective processing. This produces a 3 by 3 matrix of nine categories of views about implicit bias found in Table 2. In the left column are associationist views of implicit bias. In the bottom left cell is the received view of implicit bias, claiming that implicit bias is predicated on associations that are processed less reflectively. The cell above the received view of implicit bias refers to a more capacious associationism about implicit bias, according to which implicit bias is predicated on associations, but allowing that associations can be processed more reflectively or less reflectively. In the middle column are interactionist views about implicit bias. Interactionism about implicit bias claims that implicit bias can be predicated on associated and non-associative processes. Interactionists about implicit bias can, in principle, claim that implicit bias is predicated on more reflective processing, less reflective processing, or some combination thereof. In the far right column are non-associationist views about implicit bias. Non-associationism about implicit bias can be described by statements like, quote, implicit biases are not predicated on any associative structures or associative processes, end quote, or, quote, the structure of implicit bias is not, after all, underwritten by associations, end quote. Similar to associationism and interactionism about implicit bias, non-associationism about implicit bias can vary depending on whether it predicates implicitly biased behavior on more reflective processing, less reflective processing, or some combination thereof. Before we determine how to infer these views of implicit bias, a few words of clarification are in order. First, determining who has defended each kind of view is a worthy historical project, but that is beyond the scope of the present investigation. Second, this matrix might not classify all possible views of implicit bias. Third, the matrix spares some of the details of the views that it classifies. For example, the matrix's interactionist views specify that associative processes and non-associative processes interact, but do not specify how these processes interact. The latter is discussed in the next section, and by Garonsky and Bodenhausen, 2014. Nonetheless, the matrix visualizes various answers to an ongoing question in the debate about the nature of implicit bias. Should the received view of implicit bias be abandoned for a more centrist, more far-right, or more reflective view of implicit bias? Section 2. Inferences from Debiasing Experiments Determining the kinds of processing on which implicit bias is and is not predicated involves determining the kinds of processing on which debiasing is and is not predicated. In other words, views of implicit bias depend, at least in part, on what can be inferred from debiasing experiments. So we need to determine what can be inferred. One way to proceed is to follow precedent. The debiasing literature contains at least two inferential principles for determining the types of processing on which implicit bias is and is not predicated. 
One common inference in the debiasing literature assumes the following principle of affirmation. The affirmative manipulation principle. S is predicated on p-type processing just in case a p-type manipulation changes S. The affirmative manipulation principle seems to feature in hypothetical deductions that implicit bias is propositional. Quote, if you find two negatives making a positive, what you found is propositional and not associative. When a person you don't like dislikes another, you tend to like that other person. When a person you don't like dislikes another, you tend to like that other person. So, a negative valence, when combined with a negative valence, somehow results in a positive valence. The somehow is sensible on a propositional theory. End quote. The point is not that two positives making a negative cannot be well explained by associative processes. Like many claims about what counts as an associative process, that point is controversial. For example, Garonsky, Walther, and Blank do not endorse that claim when reporting that multiple positives made a negative. Also, that claim relies on a dichotomy between associative and propositional processing that might be false given what we already know about human and animal psychology. Hence, the point is just that if we agree that an experimental manipulation involves certain types of processing, then we should agree that any phenomena changed by that manipulation are predicated on those types of processing. I will grant the legitimacy of the affirmative inference principle in this paper. Another common inference in the debiasing literature assumes that the following principle of negation, the negative manipulation principle. S is not predicated on p-type processing just in case S is manipulated by a non-p-type manipulation, or S is not manipulated by a p-type manipulation. The negative manipulation principle seems to be at work in arguments for non-associationism about implicit bias. For example, quote, if associationism about implicit bias is true, then no logical or evidential interventions should directly work to change implicit, bias, implicit attitudes. If there are such interventions that reliably work to counteract implicit bias, then we have evidence that the structure of implicit bias is not, after all, underwritten by associations, and a logical intervention did in fact have an impact on participants' implicit attitudes." End quote. The conclusion is that, quote, we have evidence that the structure of implicit bias is not, after all, underwritten by associations, end quote. The idea is that logical or evidential manipulations are non-associative. So, according to the negative manipulation principle, if non-associative manipulations change implicit bias, then those implicit biases are not predicated on associations. However, there are problems with the negative manipulation principle. One problem is that the negative manipulation principle leads to something like the science columnist's any-only mix-up. The mistake of thinking that implicitly biased behavior cannot be predicated on any associative processes because implicitly biased behavior is not predicated on only associative processes. To avoid the science columnists any only mix-up about implicit bias, the negative manipulation principle will need to be replaced with a more circumspect principle like the one below, the negative intervention principle. S is not predicated on p-type processing just in case both p-type manipulations or measurements and non-p-type manipulations or measurements are employed and, empirically, only non-p-type manipulations cause a change in S. Unsurprisingly, the difference between the negative manipulation principle and the negative intervention principle has to do with the difference between manipulation and intervention. Not all philosophers or social scientists distinguish manipulation from intervention, indeed many use the words interchangeably. So, a definition of the word intervention is in order. Process P intervenes on S only when the change in S is caused by only P, or in causal graph terminology, P intervenes on S only when it breaks all other arrows directed into S. Manipulations, on the other hand, change S in a way that can involve multiple causes. So, manipulations do not show that a change was caused by only one process. However, interventions show both that something has changed, and that the change was caused by only one process. So while the manipulations are necessary for intervention, they are not sufficient for intervention, because interventions are a subset of manipulations. By conjunction, we are less likely to detect interventions than manipulations. This can be illustrated by imagining the development of a debiasing research program. Consider first exploratory experiments. At first, researchers just want to see if any manipulation whatsoever can cause debiasing. So researchers do not design their experimental manipulations according to the theoretical likelihood that they involve a particular type of processing, such as associative or non-associative processing. Rather, researchers design manipulations based on anecdotes or intuitions about how debiasing works. 
Eventually, the researchers find that certain experimental conditions reduce implicit biases in behavior significantly more than control conditions. Because the researchers do not have any strong theoretical reasons to think that their manipulation involved only associative or only non-associative processing, there are at least six viable interpretations of their debiasing results. Only two of these six interpretations involve a single type of processing intervening on implicitly biased behavior. The other four interpretations involve two kinds of processing jointly manipulating implicitly biased behavior. So, exploratory experiments cannot arbitrate between the various views of implicit bias previously considered. Now consider univariate follow-up experiments. After the exploratory experiments, researchers decide to manipulate something that is widely accepted to involve, to involve only one type of processing. They try to manipulate implicitly biased behavior via associative processing by presenting participants with counter-stereotypes, i.e. counter-conditioning. Analyses of their data reveals that their associative manipulations repeatedly reduced implicit biases in behavior compared to their control groups. A few things follow from these results. First, these univariate findings negate only one of the six interpretations previously considered. Second, via the affirmative manipulation principles, researchers can infer that implicitly biased behavior is predicated on associative processing. However, they cannot infer that implicitly biased behavior is not predicated on non-associative processing. Indeed, the researchers did not measure or manipulate non-associative processing, so they cannot analyze the impact of non-associative processing. Therefore, while univariate follow-up experiments, experiments tell us something about the nature of implicit bias, they hardly settle the debate about the nature of implicit bias. Third, consider multivariate follow-up experiments. After our univariate experiments, researchers decide to detect interventions on implicitly biased behavior via either associative or non-associative processing. So they design two kinds of manipulations. The associative manipulation attempts to change implicit biases in behavior by presenting participants with counter-stereotypes, i.e. counter-conditioning, and the non-associative manipulations attempt to change implicit biases in behavior in a way that is compatible with only non-associative processing. Then the researchers randomly assign participants to the associative manipulation conditions, non-associative manipulation conditions, or a control group. Now imagine that we can infer that all multivariate follow-up experiments find that only one kind of manipulation condition reduces implicitly biased behavior significantly more than the control group. First, we can negate all but one of the interpretations that we've previously considered in Figure 3. Second, we can infer, via the negative intervention principle, that the implicitly biased behavior is not predicated on any of one type of processing, i.e. that it is predicated entirely on the other type of processing. Thus, multivariate follow-up experiments have the potential to settle the debate about the nature of implicit bias. However, imagine what we can infer if both manipulation conditions reduce implicitly biased behavior significantly more than the control condition. First, we can negate only two of the six interpretations from Figure 3. Second, via the affirmative manipulation principle, we can infer that implicitly biased behavior can be predicated on both associative and non-associative processing. In other words, while univariate follow-up experiments allow us to infer something about the nature of implicit bias, they will not necessarily settle the existing debate about the nature of implicit bias. Another possibility is that the debiasing experiments find no manipulations that result in long-lasting, reliable, and significant reductions in implicit bias compared to controls. This is not a far-fetched possibility. Some meta-analyses find that experimental manipulations of implicit bias are, quote, relatively weak, end quote. Weak or even null results in debiasing experiments are to be expected if the average correlation between two IAT scores from the same person, i.e. test-retest reliability, is not high. One might think that this would show that the IAT is an unreliable measure. However, IAT scores could have in high internal consistency, even if test-retest reliability is low. So, one interpretation of the findings could be that the IAT reliably measures something that is not highly stable over time. Insofar as that is right, it will be more difficult to detect changes in implicit bias that are the result of debiasing manipulations rather than the result of ordinary instability in implicit bias. Further, insofar as that is right, it will be more difficult to infer anything about the nature of implicit bias from debiasing experiments alone. Section 3. Debiasing Experiments Philosophers sometimes cite debiasing experiments in favor of their view about implicit bias. As I will argue below, the evidential value of these experiments varies. A few experiments are underscribed, making their evidential value indeterminable. 
Other experiments are adequately described, but do not address several methodological concerns, mitigating their evidential value. Only some experiments are scrupulous enough to constitute strong evidence. Naturally, one should infer views of implicit bias from the strong evidence. Mandelbaum mentions a debiasing experiment which found that variations in argument strength can manipulate implicitly biased behavior. The experimenters presented an unspecified quantity of undergraduates with either strong or weak reasons in favor of a new policy to integrate more black professors at their university. The strong reasons were as follows, quote, the number and quality of professors would increase with this program without any tuition increase, and the number of students per class would be reduced by 25%, end quote. The weak reasons were as follows, quote, the program would allow the university to take part in a national trend, and with the new professors, current professors might have more free time to themselves, end quote. After participants were presented with these strong or weak reasons for the policy, they were given the race IAT. Brignol and colleagues found that participants who were presented with strong reasons for the pro-black policy were more positive toward black facial features than participants who received weak reasons. The authors consider this an associative manipulation. However, some argue that this finding would be difficult to explain via only associative processing. If that is right, then Brignol and colleagues' manipulation would be non-associative. Alas, even if we grant that, we do not yet have enough information about the finding to know if we should infer anything from it. While this experiment's design has promise, its sample size and other descriptive statistics, e.g. the p-value and the effect size, are not reported. Historically, not reporting such relevant details has been common in some social sciences. However, unless or until the details of such underdescribed experiments are provided, their evidential significance is indeterminable. Mandelbaum also references a debiasing experiment which found that differences in peer disagreement can manipulate implicitly biased behavior. The experimenters sorted about 50 undergraduate psychology students into a low bias group and a high bias group based on their level of racial bias. Once sorted, each group was randomly sorted into two more groups. The high consensus group was told that 81% of their peers agreed with their judgments about race. The low consensus group was told that 19% of their peers agreed with their judgments about race. After receiving their peers' feedback, participants were asked to wait in a chair in the hallway just outside the experiment room. The hallway was staged with seven chairs side by side. A black research confederate, quote, who was unaware of the experimental condition of the participants, sat in the seat closest to the door of the experimental room, end quote. In short, students had to choose how close to sit to a black peer right after finding out that either most or few of their peers agreed with their racial judgments. Seacrest and Sanger found that highly biased participants in the high consensus group sat further away from their black peer than the counterparts in the low consensus group, suggesting that normalizing the biases of high bias individuals increases their biased behavior. Lowly biased participants in the high consensus condition sat closer to their black peer than their counterparts in the low consensus group, suggesting that normalizing the biases of low bias individuals decreases their biased behavior. It is no doubt important to investigate whether this peer feedback manipulation is associative or non-associative, reflective or non-reflective. However, even if the nature of this manipulation were discovered, there are a few reasons to resist basing one's view of implicit bias on this particular experiment. First, the analysis might be underpowered given the sample size of the experiment. A common rule of thumb for sufficient statistical power is to have a minimum of 50 participants per experimental condition around four times the quantity of participants in each of the aforementioned conditions. A proper power analysis could reveal whether this finding is, in fact, underpowered, but that would require more information than is reported, for example, standard deviations of the seating distances of each group. In lieu of a proper power analysis, some researchers recommend estimating power as follows. P-values of 0.05 result in a power of about 0.5, etc. Suffice it to say, the seating distance findings are not well-powered, according to this estimation. Worse, recent replication attempts Matt suggest that this experiments suggesting that subliminal approach avoidance behaviors sometimes aside, change implicit racial biases. Earlier research had found that repeatedly performing approach behaviors towards, towards subliminal photographs of black people and avoidance behaviors towards subliminal photographs of white people resulted in a also, relative the preference of for the white people on the base IAT. Given the However, more the recent research found that the subliminal IAT, associative approach and avoidance manipulation did not change race IAT performance compared to controls, that suggesting that the earlier manipulations, even if associative, 
were effective because they were actually supraliminal and therefore potentially reflective. Indeed, Van Dessel and colleagues claim that this failure to replicate the four earlier findings challenges the idea that implicit biases are, quote, exclusively the result of automatic associative learning processes, end quote. Notice that their qualificatory use of exclusively avoids the science columnists' any-only mix-up. Nonetheless, Van Dessel and colleagues admit that their null result is, quote, not reliable enough to be treated as conclusive evidence, end quote, perhaps in part because, as they admit, these studies involve, quote, very small samples of participants, end quote, on average, 54 total participants. So, as Van Dessel and colleagues suggest, more research is required to understand whether their manipulations change implicit bias associatively and orthogonally, whether their manipulations change implicit bias more reflectively. One might wonder whether the limitations of these experiments apply to other debiasing experiments cited in the debate about the nature of implicit bias. Evaluating the rigor of all relevant debiasing experiments is a worthy inquiry, but it goes beyond the scope of the present paper. See Appendix for additional experiments. The point is just that one should be hesitant to infer a view of implicit bias from the mitigated evidence that is sometimes cited in the debate about the nature of implicit bias. Madva also mentions more recent, larger, and more methodologically rigorous experiments. One found long-term debiasing, while the other found short-term debiasing. In-person, long-term debiasing. In one of the experiments, 91 non-black introductory psychology students were randomly assigned to either a control or experimental condition after they took the race IAT. Both groups completed the race IAT and typed their results into a computer that explained their results. Then the control group was dismissed, but were told that they would need to fill out questionnaires at two points later in the semester. The experimental group was presented with a, quote, 45-minute narrated and interactive slideshow, end quote, that educated the participants about implicit bias and trained them in five different debiasing strategies. Devine and colleagues found that the experimental manipulation significantly reduced post-test race IAT results compared to the control groups, and this reduction in implicit bias was maintained four and eight weeks later. These findings suggest that certain strategies can manipulate implicitly biased behavior for extended periods of time. The strategies that Devine and colleagues participants learned are as follows. Stereotype replacement, counter-stereotypic imaging, individuation, perspective-taking, increased opportunities for contact. Some of these strategies clearly involve conditioning or counter-conditioning negative associations. For example, counter-stereotypic imaging and increased opportunities for contact. Conditioning and counter-conditioning are associative manipulations. Notice also how much deliberate processing of conscious representations, for example reflection, is involved in these strategies, representing a stereotype as a stereotype, imagining not just a stereotype, but a counter-stereotype, focusing on individual rather than group-level features, imagining the first-person experience of someone with racial features that are different from one's own racial features, and interacting positively with someone that they are negatively that they have negative stereotypes about. So, some of these manipulations involve not only associative processing, but reflective processing. Nonetheless, some of these debiasing strategies are not known to be purely associative or purely non-associative. For instance, individuation. So, just like the imagined exploratory experiments, we are left unable to interpret the roles that associative and non-associative processing plays in these debiasing strategies online short-term debiasing. In another experiment, around 5,000 participants from 17 universities in the United States were randomly assigned to one of nine debiasing conditions, or a control condition, after they took the race IAT. Immediately after completing their conditions requirements, participants took a post-test race IAT, and two to four days after the experiment, participants completed a second post-test race IAT. Lai and colleagues found that eight of the nine debiasing conditions significantly reduced implicitly biased behavior more than the control condition. Alas, when participants retook the brace IAT two to four days later, quote, none of the interventions had significantly reduced IAT scores relative to control, end quote. So, like the previous experiment, the debiasing strategies changed implicitly biased behavior. Yet, unlike the last experiment, the changes did not last. 
The debiasing conditions employed by Lyon colleagues' debiasing conditions were as follows. Vivid counter-stereotypic scenario. Counter-stereotypic IAT. Competition with shifted group boundaries. Shifting group affiliations under threat. Priming multiculturalism. Evaluative conditioning. Evaluative conditioning with go-no-go task. Implementation intentions. And faking the IAT. All conditions except the priming multiculturalism condition clearly involve pairing racial stimuli and valencies, i.e. conditioning or counterconditioning. So at least eight of Lyon colleagues' manipulations seem to be associative. Whether the priming multiculturalism condition counts as purely non-associative will be controversial given the disagreement about whether so-called logical and evidential manipulations involve associative processing. Until such disagreement is resolved or at least uncontroversial, and until it is clear that priming multiculturalism can produce lasting changes in implicit bias, experiments that prime multiculturalism are exploratory debiasing experiments, and therefore unable to determine whether implicit bias is associative or non-associative. Notice also that some of Lyon colleagues' associative manipulations seem to involve deliberate processing of conscious representations, for example, preemptively thinking, quote, black equals good, end quote. This suggests that some of Lyon colleagues' associative manipulations involved reflection. Duration of experiment and debiasing. The evidence for long-term debiasing was mixed. Divine and colleagues found that counter-conditioning-like protocols produced short- and long-term changes in implicit biased behavior, but Lyon colleagues found that counter-conditioning resulted in only short-term changes. Three details about this mixed evidence are worth emphasizing. First, Consider the conflict about long-term findings. Given that Lyon colleague's sample was much larger and was collected from multiple locations, its population is more representative, and its analysis confers greater statistical power. So if one had to bet on the likelihood of long-term debiasing via counter-conditioning across populations, then one should bet against them until further debiasing experiments suggest otherwise, of course. Nonetheless, we might wonder if this conflict is only apparent, that is, Perhaps long-term debiasing works in certain subsets of populations, like Divine and colleagues' non-black, mostly white, undergraduate sample, even if long-term debiasing does not work on average across the population as a whole. Of course, this is an empirical hypothesis. Second, the conflict about long-term findings might be related to the duration, frequency, or even context of the counterconditioning manipulations. Notably, previous work found that five minutes of counterconditioning in a controlled setting did not significantly change implicitly biased behavior, but four blocks of 96 trials of counterconditioning did. Similarly, Lyon colleagues found that short online debiasing protocols did not lead to long-term changes, but Divine and colleagues found that teaching students how debiasing works in everyday social settings for 45 minutes did. Taken together, one might hypothesize that long-term debiasing is more likely with further counterconditioning, and not just in lab settings, but in everyday social settings. Third, notice a consistency between Divine and colleagues and Lie and colleagues' findings. More or less reflective counterconditioning changed implicitly biased behavior, even if only briefly. This finding is also consistent with earlier work. Section 4. Critical Discussion with the inferential principles and the evidence on the table, we're now prepared to determine whether the received view of implicit bias should be abandoned for more centrist or far-right views. I will argue that the received, unreflective, associationist view of implicit bias should be abandoned for a more general associationist view of implicit bias, given the strong evidence just considered. However, I'll concede that if certain evidence exists, now or in the future, even this more general associationist view of implicit bias should be abandoned for either interactionism about implicit bias or minimalism about implicit bias, views that will be explained below. The strongest evidence found that counterconditioning or conditioning can change implicitly biased behavior, even if only briefly. Conditioning and counterconditioning are widely accepted to be associative manipulations. Associationism Via the affirmative manipulation principle, one can infer that implicit bias is at least partly associative. It may be tempting to conclude from this that associationism about implicit bias is true, and therefore that non-associationism about implicit bias is false.
However, that relies on the problematic negative manipulation principle that leads to the science columnist's any-only mix-up. In this case, the mistake of concluding that implicit bias is not predicated on any non-associative processes when the evidence merely shows that something is not predicated on only non-associative processes. Reflectivism. To test for positive evidence that implicit bias is partly non-associative, some debiasing experiments dissociate the effect of associative processing on implicit bias from the effects of other kinds of processing. These processed association debiasing experiments find that debiasing is explained by both a. the degree to which associations are activated, and b. the degree to which participants reflect on appropriate responses. The fact that reflection can change implicitly biased behavior is consistent with the strongest evidence just considered. If reflection were necessarily non-associative, then negative, the negative intervention principle would allow us to infer from this evidence that implicit bias is not predicated on only associative processes. However, many have realized that reflection is not necessarily non-associative. Nonetheless, the fact that reflection can help reduce implicitly biased behavior supports a sort of reflectivism about implicit bias. Reflectivism is just the idea that reflection is an important part of improving our judgments and behavior, and reflection seems to be involved in counterconditioning implicit bias. This is not to say that there is a strong evidence for an infallibilist reflectivism, according to which reflection fully or permanently ameliorates implicit bias. Rather, the strong evidence suggests only a kind of, quote, sensible reflectivism, unquote, according to which reflection can, but does not necessarily, ameliorate implicit bias and maybe only briefly and incompletely. If that is right, then we can infer via the affirmative manipulation principle that implicit bias can be reflective. This paper is focused on implicit racial bias and on three categories of evidence from experimental attempts to reduce such biases. Given how many debiasing experiments have been conducted, for example, see the appendix, and how thoroughly one should analyze these experiments, one paper cannot sufficiently review all racial debiasing experiments, let alone all debiasing experiments. So, there may be strong evidence, now or in the future, of non-associative interventions on implicitly biased behavior. If or when such evidence exists, then associationism about implicit bias would be false. That is, implicitly biased behavior would not be predicated on only associative processing. Of course, Falsifying associationism about implicit bias would not support non-associationism about implicit bias, given the strong evidence already considered. That is, if we add non-associative interventions on implicitly biased behavior to our body of strong evidence, then our total evidence would include uh, evidence that implicit bias can be changed via associative processes, given the strong evidence just considered, as well as non-associative processes, given the additional evidence. According to the affirmative manipulation principle, that total evidence entails that implicit bias can be predicated on either associative or non-associative processes. Such a disjunctive conclusion brings us to a fork in the road. Interactionism. Down one side of the fork, there are interactionist views of implicit bias. Interactionist views of implicit bias accept that implicit bias is predicated on associative and non-associative processes. However, interactionist views also aim to describe precisely how these processes interact to produce the observed dynamics in implicit biases. In other words, the goal of an interactionist view is its attempt to construct and test cognitive models of implicit bias. There are a variety of interactionist views that seem to accomplish this goal. Minimalism. Interactionist views of implicit bias include more cognitive details than are necessary for some philosophers' claims about implicit bias. So, some philosophers can go down the other fork, towards minimalist views of implicit bias. Minimalist views accept the compl complexity of implicit bias. They acknowledge that implicit bias can seem associative in some circumstances and seem non-associative in other circumstances. Minimalist, minimalist views of implicit bias also acknowledge that implicit bias seems to involve more reflection in some circumstances and less reflection in other circumstances. Crucially, however, minimalist views of implicit bias do not aim to provide a falsifiable account of whether and how implicit bias is predicated on certain types of cognitive processing. 
Rather, the goal of minimalism about implicit bias is to account for our normative intuitions about cases of implicit bias without relying on any particular cognitive model of implicit bias. There are various discussions of implicit bias that might be able to accomplish these goals. Of course, the goals of minimalist views and interactionist views are not mutually exclusive. After all, while some normative intuitions about implicit bias need not commit to any particular cognitive model of implicit bias, some cognitive models of implicit bias, if justified, will justify some normative intuitions about implicit bias more than others. So, there are advantages to basing normative claims about implicit bias on the most promising interactionist views of implicit bias, and some philosophers seem to realize as much. Section 5. Conclusion On the one hand, the conclusion of this investigation is somewhat progressive. The stronger debiasing evidence under consideration did not support the received, unreflective, associationist views of implicit bias. On the contrary, there was strong evidence that implicitly biased behavior can also be changed via more reflective processing, supporting the more capacious, associationist view of implicit bias. On the other hand, the conclusion of this investigation is somewhat conservative. While the received view of implicit bias was only partially supported by strong debiasing experiments, the road to far-right, non-associationist views of implicit bias remained blocked by strong evidence of associative debiasing manipulations. Nonetheless, future or overlooked evidence might clearly show that non-associative manipulations change implicitly biased behavior. If that is the case, then more centrist interactionist views of implicit bias can be inferred. Otherwise, two views of implicit bias can be inferred from debiasing experiments. First, associationist views of implicit bias, and second, minimalist views of implicit bias. Of course, there are limitations to the existing investigation. First, views about implicit bias are based on more than just debiasing experiments. So, the conclusions about implicit bias that were inferred from debiasing experiments herein are not all things considered conclusions. As such, views of implicit bias may be further supported by further or further undermined by considerations besides debiasing experiments. Second, the debate between associationism or non-associationism about implicit bias is just a specific instance of the more general debate between associationism and non-associationism about mind. So this investigation cannot settle that general debate. However, this investigation can recommend that debaters avoid the science columnists' any-only mix-up by relying on the negative intervention principle rather than the negative manipulation principle. If you want to hear more of my and others' research about the mind, you can subscribe wherever you find podcasts. You can also find out more about me and my research at birdnick.com, at bird underscore nick on Twitter, or at birdnick on Facebook. If you end up enjoying the Upon Reflection podcast, then feel free to tell people about it online, in person, or in your five-star review.